0: Welcome to 5th Draw Wild, everybody. I'm your host, Matt, and before we get to our interview today, we have some news. This podcast is now available on Stitcher. If you know anyone who may like this podcast but doesn't use iTunes as their podcatcher, why not point them there? All of our episodes are also available online on our website, fifthdraw.com. Do you have any topics you'd like to talk about or see talked about on this show? Let us know. We love hearing from our audience. I cannot say this enough. Thank you for giving this little podcast a chance. We want this to grow, and you are a big part of that. Thank you. Enjoy the show. And our guest today is going to be returning guest, actually, uh, Alan Sells. Alan, welcome back. Thank you for having me again. Well, I'm glad you came back to, uh, to join us after that, uh, that impassioned discussion on the X-Men. I, I I didn't talk about Jean Grey the entire time, so I am very proud of myself. I feel like I'm going to have to get you back here in another couple of months to let you talk about her uh, her new
1: ongoing a little bit oh and it's being written by dennis hopeless who wrote all new x-men and x-men season one and it's going to be really good and i'm super excited except i don't know why she's going to hang out with dr strange and Ghost Rider when rachel gray was a phoenix force user but whatever if he doesn't address that that's the only problem i'm gonna have with it
0: see this is why i need you back on it's, it's, that, <laughs> it's that, that passion right there that's what i'm looking for uh speaking of passion for the topic uh when, uh, when we talked about you coming back on a little bit, um, this was one you brought up and you were very enthusiastic to talk about this, so uh, why don't you uh, tell us what we're talking about today?
1: Sure. Um, today we are talking about Robert Jordan's epic fantasy series, The Wheel of Time. Some background on this is it is a 14 book series and Mr. Jordan actually passed away before book 11 was finished. So Brandon Sanderson, who um, is a noted fantasy author in his own right, wrote the Mistborn series, uh, writing the Stormlight Archive, came in and wrote the last three books and kind of finished out the series as a whole.
0: We're doing this a little bit differently uh, this week than we have previously. Um, we're actually, I had you just choose five books for us to look at, and the ones you chose were, appropriately enough, uh, the five first books in the series. Yep. Yep. And so you provided some, some information for me to go look at so that I wouldn't just be completely mm-hmm. lost for this. And I got to tell you, I'm very excited to hear what someone who has read this series has to say, because I was completely lost. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it, it can get confusing. One of the things that I love about Robert Jordan and his writing style is he is very descriptive. Everything is described down to the nittiest, grittiest of details. The embroidery on skirts, there is so much swishing and so much, you know, extra stuff. Uh, of describing how these people live and what what they're eating and all of that fun stuff. I am a sucker for that level of detail. But when you're trying to condense, you know, books that are easily 800 pages into, you know, five paragraph summaries, things get a little weird and, and you lose a lot of that uh, connective tissue. So it's just like, yeah, that person they thought was dead, but totally isn't dead, but may still yet be kind of dead – and yeah it it just gets really complicated but uh it it seems like a good complicated
0: you know yes from from people who have who have read this series i've heard really honestly nothing but good stuff if they've gotten all the way through it
1: right that's that's kind of what happens to most people is they'll stall out and they'll be like oh well i never finished and it's like oh come on finish if you just get through to the end um especially when brandon sanderson picks up because he Brandon Sanderson did an amazing job as a ghostwriter. It still very much feels like Robert Jordan. It's just he trimmed a lot of the fat. And so the last three books are breakneck pace compared to all of the books that came before it.
0: Let's let's kind of start first. Just give us a, a really brief overview of the world that we're going to get into here. Um, sure. What, what is the world of The Wheel of Time?
1: Um, what's funny is it doesn't actually have a name. Like, the continent that they're on... Does not have a name. It is uh, lovingly referred to as the uh, as Randland, and that's because the main character is named Rand AlThor, son of Tam AlThor. He is a simple shepherd. Uh, in the way of stories, he you know the the books open up with him and his two friends Perrin Ibarra and Matt Cawthon living in a small town called Emmonsfield. Basically, two strangers ride into town. Um, a beautiful woman with an ageless face named Moraine and a rugged fighter man named lan uh almondragoran they come in and are basically like hey you know some stuff's about to go down but we're kind of mysterious and shady people so we're not going to really say what and then trollocs attack these you know giant half not even half human creatures seven feet tall with the faces of animals um attack and destroy a lot of the village so Rand, his two friends, um, as well as his friend Egwene and the village Wisdom, which is kind of the wise woman um, named Nynaeve, which she has one of the strangest spellings of a name in the history of the world. Um, whenever I was first reading the books, I called her Nynaeve because it's N-Y-N-A-E-V-E. But since I've listened to the audiobooks, I now actually know it's Nynaeve. But she is this village wise person who's actually only about 21. She's the youngest person to ever hold this office. Um, so they wind up going with Moraine because Moraine's like, basically, come with me if you want to live. Um, and they wind up going on this grand adventure um, and exploring the great wide world. It is really interesting. The thing that draws me to it the most, I think, is the magic system. It is my favorite magic system probably in all of literature. But it's, yeah, that's kind of the long and short of how the story starts. So that's, that's the first book. That's Eye of the World, right? Right. The Eye of the World. So, so
0: run, run us down a little bit more on, on Eye of the World. What's, what's kind of going on around the characters in there, in that book?
1: One of the things, before I get too terribly far into it, one of the things that I love about the Wheel of Time series, um, and I actually have my copy of Eye of the World here, is that every book, chapter one, begins the same. Um, There's only one thing in the first paragraph that changes, and it's the location of the wind. And when I read it, you'll understand... But one of my favorite things is because the series is cyclical, everything about the Wheel of Time happens in patterns and cycles, the first chapter of the first book and the last or the first chapter of the last book begin identically. And it is thus, the Wheel of Time turns and ages come and pass, leaving memories that become legend. Legend fades to myth and even myth is long forgotten when the age that gave it birth comes again. In one age, called the third age by some, an age yet to come, an age long past, a wind rose in the mountains of mist. The wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time, but it was a beginning. And so every book, and I I get chills every time I read it, but every book begins that same way and you follow the wind and it kind of shows you what's going on. And I kind of described a little bit of what happens in the first chapter with them escaping. But before that, you actually get a prologue. Um, And in that prologue, you meet a gentleman by the name of Luz Theron Telamon, who uh, is referred to as the dragon. And his story is a very sad one. Basically, he wakes up after murdering his entire family and all of his servants and then calls down as much of the one power as he can upon himself, effectively killing himself and creating a mountain that stands as his grave uh, because he kind of goes crazy. And you find out why he goes crazy and what's going on a little bit later in the series. But essentially, in the first book, they travel. They go to uh, a place called uh, Kerhain, um, which is kind or uh, barrelon excuse me, which is kind of a capital city of of this wor- of this world. They meet a lady named uh, Min Farshaw, who is a young woman who can see people's futures. They meet Padden Fane, who was a peddler that had come to uh, Field, who. Turns out to be an incredibly crazy and evil and bizarre um, character. But you also find out that Egwene and Nynaeve can channel. And what that means, the magic system behind the Wheel of Time, is you have what's called the true source. The true source is split in half. You have the male half of the true source, which is Sidene, and the female half of the true source, which is Sidere. Women channel Sidere, men channel Sidene. The problem is the male half of the source is tainted. Essentially, when the Dark One was imprisoned, his backstroke against the people that imprisoned him put a taint on Sidene so that anyone who channels from it goes insane. Um, and it can be either very, very fast, it can be very, very slow, but it always ends with them pretty much killing everyone they ever loved and then themselves.
0: Okay. So presumably <laughs> that's 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 what, what goes on with... Uh
1: the dragon right that's that's the Mm -hmm. assumption that you're given is that that's what happened to him he basically went insane yes okay um and he's speaking to someone um at the end who is uh the betrayer of hope he calls him and basically the betrayer of hope lets him be sane enough for long enough to realize what he did and then because he allows him to be sane enough Luz Theron basically is like screw this I'm gonna kill myself I can't live with this and so creates what's called Dragon Dragonmount, uh, which is the largest mountain in the world. He basically calls so much of the power onto himself that he breaks the world.
0: That is a really interesting magic system with that division. Uh, and I'm assuming that the, the conflicts there between those two sides and their use kind of drives along the plot, especially later on, I would guess. It does.
1: So each half is specifically good at something. So the male half is particularly good at working with Earth and Fire. Um, women with air and water. the way you use the source is very, very different. Women surrender themselves to the one power. Basically, they have to open themselves like a blossom to the sun is the way uh, they see, you see it written a lot. Men have to seize it, they grab it, they hold on to it and ride it like a current that's threatening to kill them. So it is there's a lot of social commentary in the wheel of time. Not all of it's great um there's a lot of it that's very progressive there's some of it that's not very progressive so for example Isadi are women who can channel because men cannot be trusted with channeling because they go crazy um but these women who can channel after all of this happened after the world broke basically people were like we can't trust you anymore because what if you were just crazy like the men and they said okay okay what we'll do is we'll take three oaths there's this thing called the oath rod that literally binds their promises into their bones and those oaths are to never speak a word that is untrue to never create a weapon that one man can use to kill another and to never use the one power in offense except within the defense of my own life a sister's life my uh warder's life or the life of an innocent so basically they cannot break these vows they cannot lie now they get around that by speaking in circles sometimes and you know basically alluding to things or not talking about things because lying by omission doesn't count um so it's really interesting they they are very much political a I are uh, each Ruler usually has at least one Aes Sedai advisor. They uh, operate out of what's called the White Tower, um, and their leader is called the Amaranthine Seat. Uh, I adore the Aes Sedai. Like I, I, that is probably my favorite thing in the entire series, is you know their structure, how they work, what's go- like how that machination happens. It's really interesting.
0: They learn that their two companions are channelers. And where do they go from there? Uh, some weird things happen near the end of this book.
1: Yeah. Um, so essentially the party splits. Always
0: a dangerous thing to do.
1: Right. Moraine Lan, uh, which turns out, spoiler, Moraine is an Aes Sedai. Um, it's revealed fairly early on that she is uh, Aes Sedai of the blue Aja. Um, there are seven Aja. Uh, blue, red, yellow, brown, Gray, white, and red. Those are the seven. And then there's the secret eighth Aja, the black Aja that no one talks about because they work for the Dark One. So they essentially split. Rand and Matt and Perrin, I believe, uh, all go, because they split up after uh, Barillon. Egwene and Perrin wind up traveling and meeting a guy by the name of Elias Machera, who claims he can talk to wolves and turns out so can Perrin. They also meet a bunch of what are called Tinkers or the Tuatha'an, who are basically people that have promised to never, ever do violence for any reason. Even in defense of their own lives, they would rather die than commit violence. So essentially, after they split up uh, and things kind of get a little weird, they come back together um, and meet an Ogier by the name of Loyal. Uh, An Ogier, think of like a semi-giant elfin person, like eight foot tall, pointy ears. Um, They can sing to trees um, and they tell, and he tells them of the threat to the eye of the world. And what the eye of the world is, is a pool of Sidene that hadn't been touched by the dark one essentially and the green man which is basically a giant tree dude is trying to protect it but something is coming for it and something is trying to get access to it to do nefarious things so they basically go through they loyal kind of guides them through they go through a thing called the ways which are passages that connect places uh, magically So what would normally take a month to traverse could be only an hour in the ways, but the ways have become kind of twisted and evil. So they have to be careful not to die there. They get to the eye of the world. Um, They're confronted by a couple of Forsaken who work directly for the Dark One. A big fight happens. Uh, Turns out, Rand spoiler again, uses the Eye of the World to defeat um, these guys. And it turns out that not only can he channel, he possibly could be the dragon reborn, uh, which is Luz Theron Telamon, that man from the beginning, reborn into a new era. The point of the dragon is to fight and defeat the Dark One. So basically all of these prophecies start getting fulfilled after Rand uses the eye of the world
0: that sets up kind of in a lot of ways, the traditional fantasy hero story there, you know, right. the, the shepherd leaves the village and goes off and discovers his destiny. So the second book is the great hunt. Yep. So where do we go from here? Like we, we have this, uh, things revealed about our characters. Uh, Rand has this great destiny in front of him. Matt managed to find himself a cursed dagger and everything. Yep. Where do we go from
1: here? so at the end of the eye of the world when when they use the eye of the world there were two things three things within the eye there was a seal to the dark one's prison there was the dragon banner and there was what was referred to as the horn of valair or valerie essentially anyone who blows the horn can summon ancient heroes uh basically specters to come back and fight for them when the horn is found that's another sign that you know the end of days is coming and the final fight with the dark one's going to happen well padden fane that peddler steals both the horn and the tainted dagger that matt took from shadar Lagoth. without the dagger they can't heal matt so he and matt and perrin try to go find it in the horn iguin and uh, Nynaeve go with moraine to tarvalon to become Sedai. and they also find that elaine Trakhand, which is the daughter of the queen of andor is also going to be and i said i and she actually becomes a very prominent character later um i I very much like elaine although to be fair she's probably one of my least favorite of the women but then again i love them all so it's kind of like picking between my children so rand and loyal meet a guy named Huron who can basically literally sniff evil he can smell where evil has been um if there's like a a great battle or something he he always knows and he can follow it um, so they use him to try to find the horn and the dagger, which they do manage to steal them back. After that, they go to Kerheen, um, where th- during this, they met a woman by the name of Selene, who was this really beautiful, like kind of fay woman who get- got really angry if you called her an Aes Sedai, but had an Aes Sedai face and all of this. Turns out she's not a very nice person. Basically, they wind up getting attacked by Trollocs and again, lose the horn and the dagger. It- it's kind of a back and forth for the Great Hunt of them getting it, them not getting it, them, you know, back and forth and back and forth. They wind up, though, kind of the denouement, I guess, of this entire thing is they, they go into um, an occupied city, Toman Head, I believe it's called. So there are these people called the Shanchan who are basically this empire from across the sea. And they're just like, hey, you belong to us. Deal with it. So they come in and they start attacking. They have these collars that they can put around the necks of women who can channel to take control of them and basically turn them into slaves. Um, it's real kind of messed up. So basically, Rand and his crew use the horn. Matt specifically blows the horn of Valir um and uses it to kind of fight the Shanchan, while um Rand fights zaman who is again one of the Forsaken in the sky so like everybody is looking up and seeing these two fighting in the sky um he apparently kills baal but he himself is severely wounded he gets a really bad uh, wound in his side and then eventually finds him in the aftermath and then afterwards once he finally wakes up basically people are like holy crap you are the Dragon Reborn. Yeah, I guess we need to start following you now because the world's about to end. And so the the entirety of the Shinar, which is one of the, the nations, are just like, okay, you're the Lord Dragon. You know, we will follow you to death. And he's like, okay, I guess I have to be the dragon now. Where does, where does uh, the Great Hunt put the heroes? At the end of the Great Hunt, Rand has a giant wound in his side that can't be healed and he is officially the dragon. Perrin, I don't think too terribly much happens with him. I think at some point he accidentally kills a white cloak. I can't remember if that's in the second book or in the first book. But he also starts delving into his ability to um, to speak with wolves. Matt is still tied to that dagger. Um, he has yet to um, completely get free of it, but he is also now the horn bearer. Egwene actually gets captured by the Shonchan, but is rescued. Um, so has the collar around her neck for a moment, but is eventually rescued. It ends a li- in a much more tangle um, than it was before, um, and it gets kind of it gets kind of messy. Okay, so we we've we've got our
0: heroes in kind of a rough rough little situation here, mm-hmm. and that leads us into the third book, which is the Dragon Reborn. Yep. So what goes on here? Because this one seems like it's got the most craziness about
1: it somewhere in the middle. So. Basically, kind of the short version is when Rand, Rand basically goes, okay, I guess I have to fulfill these prophecies now. And he basically leaves his companions um, and is like, you know, sorry, I got to go do what I got to do. Bye. And he's going to a place called the Stone of Tear. And within the Stone of Tear is an object called Kalendord. It's a sword made out of crystal, and only the Dragon Reborn can touch it. So basically, if he can take the sword, he is the Dragon Reborn. It is very Aetherian. It is very, you know, the sword Excalibur. But meanwhile, uh, while all of that's going on, Perrin, Moraine, Lan, and Loyal um, go and chase after him. They meet a hunter uh, by the name of Fael, or Zureen Bashir. Um, but she calls herself Fael, which means falcon in the old tongue. She and eventually, or she and Perrin fall in love, um, and they kind of uh, start dating and courting and stuff. And it's real sweet. And I really like, I really like Fail uh, and Perrin. It's real sweet. Matt goes with uh, Nynaeve, Elaine, Egwene, and Huron to uh, Tar to try to get Matt healed. He is eventually healed, um, but now he kind of sometimes speaks the old tongue without realizing it. Both Elaine and Eguyen are raised up to the next level. Um, Basically, there are three levels of Aes Sedai. You have um, Novice, Accepted, and Aes Sedai. They were novices. They are raised to Accepted. Um, Nynaeve was so powerful in the power she started as Accepted, um, which is pretty, pretty atypical. And they get eventually assigned by the Emerald seat to hunt the Black Aja. Um, essentially sisters that work for the dark one. And these sisters are free of their oaths. They are not bound by the oath rod. They just pretend like they are.
0: Oh, that seems bad.
1: Oh, it is very bad uh, because they can lie to your face. um, You know, all of this stuff. And of course they claim to be of another Aja. Um, There are black Aja in pretty much every Aja um, all seven. So their job is to basically be snoops um, and try to find uh, these black Aja and they gather some clues and they wind up needing to go to Tyr. So before they do, Matt is given a letter to take to Morgay's. He beats up Morgay's brother, essentially, uh, gives the letter to Elaine's mom, and meets up with Tom again. And they they leave. So once they get to Tier, Ju- uh, they had been working. The girls had been working with a guy named uh, Julian Sandar, who unwittingly turned them over to. Uh, members of the black aja they capture the girls but then moraine rescues them and then Rand in a forsaken battle in the stone of tear and you are introduced to the most powerful magic in this whole system which is called balefire balefire is one of the most interesting crunchy things to me because what balefire does is not only does it kill you it erases you from the pattern. So the the idea of the Wheel of Time is that everything is the pattern. It's the age lace. Every life is a strand. And it's all weaved together into this age lace that eventually tells the story of humanity. What Balefire does is it takes your thread and not only ends it, but burns it backwards in time, depending on how much power was used. So if it was a tiny bit of balefire, you may be killed just immediately. But there were a point, there was a point where they used so much balefire that it took out a city, and the pattern nearly collapsed because that much power reset everything four or five months. Another way that you use it is, let's say we were in a room together and someone stabbed you. I killed them with balefire, with enough balefire that it takes them back before you are stabbed. You never died.
0: That is a freaky, powerful thing.
1: Isn't it? It is uh, its a forbidden weave. It is banned. No one's supposed to be able to know how to do it, but Moraine does. And Rand, after all of that hubbub, takes Kalindor, proving himself to be the dragon reborn, and finally, once and for all, kills Baalzaman, who turned out to be just a Forsaken, not the actual Dark One. And it was more than likely Ishmael, chief among the Forsaken. Uh, the Aiel, which are these kind of desert-dwelling people uh, take the stone and call themselves the people of the dragon, uh, af- again, fulfilling another prophecy.
0: So if if I was looking at, at these first three books, this feels like the end of act
1: one or like it the is. end
0: of kind of the first arc of the story. Very much so. Okay. So so what we've got is, you know, this this really does feel like the first chunk of the hero story in a lot of ways mm-hmm. where. Rand has come to this point where, you know, he's finally accepted this power, the responsibility, he's accepted his role. Now, at this point traditionally, everything is required to go straight to hell.
1: Mm-hmm, everything
0: mm-hmm. just has to fall apart from this point. So, so where do we go at the end of Dragon Reborn? What what is what is looming on the horizon here?
1: So basically what's kind of looming is the forsaken. All of these people that work for the dark one um, who basically want to stop the dragon. Not necessarily, they can't stop him from being reborn, but they can stop him from, f- from fulfilling the prophecy and basically stopping the Dark One, which is where they draw their power. So at the beginning of Shadow Rising, which is the fourth book, that Selene woman appears again, but reveals herself to be a woman by the name of Lanfear. Lanfear is one of the most uh, powerful and frightening of the uh, Chosen, which is what they call themselves. Everyone else calls them the Forsaken because they have forsaken the light. Basically, they send a group of Shadowspawn, uh, which are like Trollocs and Midril and all these evil things, to kill him. And Rand kills them all with Kalindor. Basically, he channels and sends lightning that strikes every single evil thing but leaves everything else on top. And they all die, like just an explosion of fire and gore and all sorts of stuff. And what this leads to, though, is people going, well, okay, he's the Dragon Reborn. But that means he's using the male half of the one power, which means he's going to go crazy. Has he already started going crazy? What level of crazy are we dealing with here? Can we trust him? Is he able to make decisions? Because, you know, the Dragon Reborn is supposed to be like a leader, a general, essentially, basically like a king. He starts questioning himself, and in order for him to find answers, he goes to what's called the Waste, which is uh, basically this desert land where the Aiel are from. Egwene goes with him, hoping, because she has been having dreams that turn out to be prophetic, and Moraine winds up going too. Matt isn't quite sure what to do, so he winds up going with Ran. Uh, Perrin goes back to the Two Rivers because there's rumors that there are trouble there's trouble there. Um, and then Elaine, Nynaeve, and Tom continue uh, their hunt for the Black Aja. So in the Waste, uh, Rand meets Abienda, who is a maiden of the spear who's trying to become a wise one, which are essentially their version of Aes Sedai. Some of them can use the one power. Some of them can't. Um, they're essentially just wise women, healers, that kind of thing. But essentially, they tell him, oh, what you need to do is go to the abandoned city of Ruhidian, and there's a test there. There are essentially these columns that you have to walk through. If you walk through them and live, that means that you were chosen and everything's good. If you walk through them and you die, well, that just means that you weren't what we thought you were. Um, Because the prophecy states that twice shall he be marked. Um, There's lots and lots of prophecy, um, but essentially that he'll have two dragons appear on him somewhere. So basically, he walks through the thing and he relives past lives from his Aiel side. Basically how the Aiel came to be who they are. But he manages to survive and he comes out with two dragon tattoos one on each arm essentially like coiling around his arm with the head resting on the back of the hand and that marks him what's called the car a or the chief of chiefs and the leader of the ail. this is another surefire this hey you are the dragon have fun congratulations matt uh, finds a portal similar to the one he entered in tier and goes inside where he had met the snakes he now meets the foxes um they don't know questions instead they bargain for gifts um they hang him Um, But Rand heals him of that Uh, So now he has memories of being a leader in war Fluency in the old tongue A bladed spear And a medallion that protects him from the one power That seems like a lot of power to just suddenly show up in this one dude Basically, Matt Matt's a very interesting character In that he is very much the reluctant hero archetype He is the hero that's like Nope, I just want to stay home I just want to hang out with my friends I just want to play dice I just want to like have sex with all the women i don't want to do anything that involves being a hero but he actually kind of turns out to be the most heroic of them uh again he lived many lives as a general so he's able to recall a lot of those memories so basically as which is one of the forsaken uh challenges rand and they chase him back uh to ruhidian he's disguised as a glee man, which are like bards essentially Asmodian is trying to get the keys to what is what's called the Choden Call, which is allows you to channel much more of the One Power than you could be able to alone, and they're the most powerful of their kind. So essentially, if you got a key to Choden Call, you could channel enough, you know, One Power to, oh, say, in the world, if you really wanted to. You can do huge acts with the One Power this way. But Rand defeats him and cuts his tie to the Dark One. Lanfear shows up, mocks Asmodian, saying, Haha, sucks to be you." puts a huge shield on him limiting how much one power he can use and basically makes him be Rand's servant and teach him how to use the one power because Lanfear weirdly enough is in love with Rand because she was in love with Luz Theron Telamon so she doesn't necessarily want him to die she wants him to become evil and marry her and become his queen except she wants the roles reversed where she would be the one in charge and she, he would be basically her trophy. Back in the Two Rivers, Perrin uh, discovers that people are caught between Trollocs, uh, led by a man named Slayer, and Children of the Light, who think Perrin is a dark friend. And it gets kind of nasty. Um, the The city winds up coming under siege. Um, but with the help of Aes Sedai, um, and the people, Perrin basically leads them to war against the Trollocs. They begin to call him Lord Perrin or Perrin GoldenEyes, and he doesn't like that at all. And Perrin and male, uh, Perrin and Fail get married. It's real sweet. Uh, it makes me happy. And uh, they drive out uh, a guy named Lord Luck, who actually turns out to also be Slayer. Elaine and Nynaeve are encountering uh, the more Black Aja, and they find a male version of the collar that was used on a Gwyn or a Gwaine. So essentially, if this collar was to be put on a man, someone could control him, i.e. if it was to be put on Rand, someone could control Rand. So this is a very big problem. So basically, Elaine and Nynaeve steal that, and they also find um, one of the Dark One's seals. They rescue the queen from a black sister who'd been torturing her, and then Nynaeve confronts a Forsaken, Uh, Directly, And turns out Nynaeve is just as powerful as she is. They basically get into a a battle with the power and Marchadian escape. So Min goes to the White Tower, seeing lots of visions that something bad is really going to happen there. Um, When she goes to the Amarylline seat, um, she hides her in plain sight in the guise of El Mendreda. Basically being like, don't tell anyone what you saw. But essentially the book ends with a bloody coup d'etat. Essentially, a red sister by the name of Aleda accuses Swan of being a dark friend and deposes her, cuts her off from the power, um, which is called stilling. Um, essentially, she cannot channel the one power anymore, and she becomes the Emerald Seat instead. This causes a division in the White Tower. Essentially, half of the Sedai run away and say, "No, you're crazy. What are you doing? Why? Why did you do that?" And then the other half are like, "No, Suyan, uh, Su-Yan was was weak, and you're strong, and this is what is supposed to happen." Um, so now, essentially, the tower is split into, and Suyan is basically cast out as a peasant they're like you have no power anymore no one cares about you we're gonna throw you away min takes uh suya suyan and leanne who was her her basically number two um and sneak them out of the one tower before they're murdered that's basically how it ends is the white tower is completely in disarray and then like the last thing to happen is a person named Logan who was a former false dragon and had been uh, when a man is cut off from the power. It's called gentling. He'd been gentled, but basically they set him free and have them come, have him come and join them too.
0: So uh, just more chaos. And this, this one feels like of, of the four we've looked at so far, um, this one really feels like this is the one that starts deepening the world. Yes. Where this is, this is where things start to add a lot of the more original flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, for Jordan, like this is where things are going to become his, because everything else up to this point had really felt a lot like the Shannara series. The very cu- first book is mm-hmm. exactly a formulaic fantasy novel of the time, and that's kind of right. what the first three it felt like a little bit. This is where it really feels like um, they've come into their own a
1: little bit, yeah. Yes, absolutely. And and that's the thing that I love and why I keep urging people get past the first 3 books. Because if you can get past the first 3 books, you really start getting into this deep crunchy world. When the party splits, you you discover so much of the world and each wor- each place in the world is so cultured it's very very different feeling when you're reading about the stone of tear versus the aiel versus andor versus camelin versus kerhian you know all of these places feel very 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 distinct when you get into the white tower and they actually start getting into the political machinations why eleda did what she did why people supported her in doing what she did you know it 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 gets very interesting eleda duarovni is awful Like, she ranks among the, like, characters I hate the most in fiction. Um, She is just a really, really good antagonist. But that's the thing. She's just very good at being bad. Um, And the more you read, she's complicated all of these characters become very very complicated and not at all as straightforward as they once appeared you know this poor farm boy who started out you know basically you know in his small little village is now not only the dragon reborn but is starting to hear voices in his head that talk to him and are basically like oh yeah by the way I'm Luz Theron Talamon and I live inside you Oh, that's, that seems like it's going to be really good for him. The oh, whole. yeah. Especially the whole, you know, going crazy thing. Because then he's like, is this actually loose there in Telamon or am I actually going crazy? Like, what's going on? He can't, you know, he's having a hard time separating reality and, you know, what's going on. But he also doesn't feel like he can tell anybody, because if he tells people, they're just going to go, no, you're crazy. This is bad. You know, we need to go to the Aes Sedai, and they're just going to gentle him.
0: Nothing nothing good building up for Rand here in these in this next book, huh?
1: No. And and that's where Fires of Heaven actually starts, is with Rand hearing the voice of Luz and Telamon and having memories that aren't his own. Egwene, uh, or Egwene has uh, found out that she is what's called a dreamer. She has the ability to not only have prophetic dreams, but enter the world of dreams. So she can kind of almost astrally project out of her body and into a dream world um, where she can enter other people's dreams. um, She can give messages to people. She can do all sorts of different stuff uh, through dreaming. Dreaming is another really neat uh, power thing that they do because eventually they talk about uh, what are called terangrial, these little devices that do one specific thing. And there are Turangriall for dreaming. So if you wear one when you go to sleep, um, you go into the dream world. And they use this to hold meetings, essentially. They're like, every third night, meet here in the world of dreams, so no no matter where we are on the planet, we can talk to each other and keep each other in the know of what's happening. So it's it's pretty interesting. A splintered part of the Iel refused to recognize Rand as the Dragon Reborn or the Karakarn, Um, And they're called the Shido. And basically, they're like, no, you're not really the Karakarn. He's really the Karakarn, even though the person they think is the Karakarn is a fake. And he basically goes, no, what we're going to do instead is we're going to cross over the spine of the world and we're going to destroy the wetlands, which is what they call basically normal society. So Rand leads his Aeol to stop the Shido in the Battle of Kerhain, or Kerhain, I can never pronounce that word correctly. Um, Matt tries to escape, uh, but he kind of winds up accidentally saving a bunch of troops um, from an ambush. And so then he winds up accidentally becoming their leader, uh, and they call themselves the Band of the Red Hand.
0: I I, I feel like Matt
1: might be my favorite
0: character in all
1: Matt, Matt is amazing. A lot of people's favorite character is Matt because he is – he's very much the accidental hero. He's like, no, stop it. No, I don't want to. No, no. Uh, <laughs> fine. Whatever. I'll do it. God. Basically, Rand – Thinking that the queen of Andor is dead, so Elaine's mother is supposedly dead, he discovers a, um, a new power that had been lost for a very long time called traveling, which is literally basically boring a hole in space and time and creating a gateway that you can literally take one step and be thousands of miles away there's no way this is gonna go horribly wrong at all is there right and they use it in lots of neat ways they use it to move uh, armies almost instantly you know eventually this, uh, the uh, the the I said I figure out how to do it too but it yeah it gets kind of um, traveling in gateways especially in the last book are some of my favorite effects of the one power because when brandon sanderson got a halt to it he started doing things with it that i had thought about when i was a kid and i was like oh my god he's doing the things that i oh that's so cool um and i don't really want to say what they are because it's kind of spoilers but read the books guys they're super good so basically rand thinks that a forsaken has killed the queen he goes to andor and basically is like no i'm going to fight you moraine gets into a fight with lanfear and they're on a dock they wind up being hurled through a doorway which is one of those portals to the Eelfin eelfen the doorway melts and everyone thinks that they're dead that basically they died in you know this this horrible accident so rand uh you know, being upset now that Mor- uh that Elaine's mother is dead, that Moraine is dead, uh, basically goes nuts. He- Robin kills a bunch of people, but then Rand hunts him down, kills him with balefire, therefore reversing the deaths of a lot of people he had killed. So he had killed Matt, he had killed Asmodian, he had killed Avienda, but because he killed him with balefire, they all came back to life. However, that's not so great for Asmodian because later on he is uh, killed by an unknown assailant. Somebody just kind of offs him. Um, and that's actually kept a secret for a very long time of who killed Asmodian, and It was a big deal in like the fan community speculating who killed him. And the answer is actually pretty interesting, but again, read the books. Um, uh, no spoilers on who did that. A, a bunch of them travel uh, looking for the rebel Aes Sedai and kind of wind up entangling themselves with Queen Morghese's advisor, Gareth Bryn, who is exiled because basically Morghese, the queen, there's a-, a type of magic called compulsion where basically you can force somebody to do what you want them to do. And they are not, they have no agency anymore. Um, essentially it's brain or it's mind control. So while she was mind control, she sent this man away. And so Min, Lian, Su, uh, Suyan, and Loghain pick him up and find the rebels. Nynaeve, Elaine, Tom, and uh, Julen uh, are, they travel disguised as circus performers, cause this is a thing, uh, through lands filled with Sean Shan Chan that uh, kind of got left behind. Um, and they're also trying to find uh, the rebel Aes Sedai. But basically, they um, wind up finding Mokhedian Mohed- again, one of the Forsaken. They get into a fight in the World of Dreams. Mokhedian rips Brigitte, who is one of the heroes, um, out of the World of Dreams into the physical uh, world, which causes lots of problems. And then Nynaeve finally remembers that the- where the rebels are. And after that, um, they actually trap the Forsaken with an Adam. So they wind up having the forsaken collared to where they can't use the one power unless they're given permission. It's a really it's an interesting sticking point and it's an interesting place to end because basically, um the Adam is used is compared a lot to slavery because essentially what it does is it removes it removes a lot of the uh domain is what they're called once they're collared. It removes a lot of the domain's agency they cannot they cannot channel unless they are given permission to they can be punished invisibly made to feel pain they can be uh basically so it's a two-piece collar so the collar goes around their neck and then there's a collar that goes around the wrist of someone else If the person takes off the wrist collar and hangs it on a wall and that the colored person tries to get the wrist collar, they wind up uh, uh, like vomiting violently uh, because they're trying to get too close because they're trying to get free. It is this really, really messed up device. And even though this person is a forsaken and is very, very evil. Um, they go into some really interesting later on of course really interesting discussions of the morality of keeping her bound and is that okay and why is it okay to do why is it not okay to do it's really interesting
0: so that's that's where the fifth book the the last one we're gonna really look at ends yep so just kind of from this point in as as spoiler free away as we can okay kind of kind of broad strokes tell us, Tell us kind of what what's
1: going on down the road a little bit. Sure. So basically all of this is leading up to what's called the last battle. Um, the last battle is the forces of light versus the forces of darkness. Rand has to basically consolidate his power. Um, he has to get the countries of the world to cooperate with him um and be like no we need your armies we need your people because we're going to be fighting these uh shadow spawn and i'm going to be fighting the dark one and this is really bad and you need to help me and of course the countries of the world are like ha 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 no you're crazy some of them join much more readily than the others um you have the looming threat of the shan chan which don't believe in the prophecies of the dragon they think they're bunk and essentially you're like, nah, we're just going to do our own thing and we're back and we're just going to reclaim all this crap and you all belong to us anyway. So it doesn't really matter. Uh, the Empress of Shan chan becomes a character uh, much later that uh, comes up with a lot of frequency um, and she is very, very, very interesting. Matt winds up accidentally again with the Shan chan it, it's pretty interesting how he winds up with them. the the Aes Sedai, the rebels versus the tower, um, essentially that goes on for a little while. They, the rebels name an Amaryllin seat. So there are two Amaryllin seats at once, which is unheard of. The Amaryllin seat that they name is pretty surprising, although probably not because this person is a main character. So, hey, it's interesting to watch that character's growth. I don't want to say who it is because again, spoilers, but that character's specific growth over the course of, of the entire story is just brilliant. How she kind of goes from who she was before they raised her Amaryllon to really going into her own and being the Amaryllon seat um, and uh, eventually, you know, working to reunify the tower uh, before the the last battle happens. And then, of course, the last battle. Um, to give you an idea of how, of what the scope of that is like, the final book is called the Mem- A Memory of Light. And the chapter, The Last Battle, is 347 pages long. Sure. One chapter. That's
0: a long chapter.
1: It is a long chapter. Um, I the first time I read it I had the flu and so I was curled up with Tamiflu and a memory of light because it had been delivered to my house and I read it basically in one sitting I read the entire book in one sitting I was so emotionally drained there were lots of tears it's an amazing series Uh, I highly 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 recommend uh, picking it up and reading it if you haven't
0: awesome well Alan thank you for coming on again this has been a lot of fun
1: you are very welcome I've had a whole lot of fun yeah
0: this, uh, this definitely makes me want to go find some copies of these books and, yeah! uh, and read those. Um, I'm going to have to do that. So why don't you tell everybody where they can find you online?
1: Sure. Um, You can follow me on Twitter, at Alan underscore Sells. I'm also the Game Master for uh, Pokemon World Tour United, which is a Pokemon actual play podcast where we play the Pokemon Tabletop United RPG. And Matt has actually been a guest on. Um, He did an amazing job, and more than likely by the time this comes up, that episode will have been released, I think. Um, I hope. So uh, there's that. And I'm also a cast member on the Cool Kids table, where we play uh, RPGs pretty much twice monthly.
0: You can find us on the internet at fifthdraw.com, follow us on Twitter at fifthdraw, or email us at social at fifthdraw.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Hoodley. If you enjoyed this episode, why not give us a rating and a review, or maybe tell a friend? Getting the word out helps us immensely. Our music is Arcade Montage by Lee Roosevelt and can be found at the Free Music Archive. That's all for this week. We hope you'll join us next week for another episode. And hey, thanks for listening.